Napa know-how. There are lots of amazing cars on the road, but perhaps none more amazing than the paid-off car. It may not be pretty, but the price is right. Heck, if you keep that thing running, it'll actually start paying you. Because with Napa Rewards, for every $100 you spend, you'll get $5 off. So keep your car running longer, stronger with Napa Rewards, and watch the savings start rolling in. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 173 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this fine Monday evening. I just finished recording a uh, crossover episode with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavaliers. That might sound a little bit interesting to you because the Hawks do not play against the Cavaliers until Friday, but uh, the Hawks play against Cleveland twice over about a, uh, I guess, even less than 48-hour period on Friday night and then again on Sunday afternoon. And because of the way the schedule broke down with the Cavs in action earlier in the week as the Hawks have three off days, the schedule was not perfect this episode, so we went ahead and recorded it on this Monday evening, so uh, please keep that in mind if you're looking forward. If you want to save this podcast until Friday as something of a preview of the uh, Hawks Cavaliers back-to-back on Friday and Sunday, I will not begrudge that at all, but if you want to sort, sort of listen to this thing as more of a big-picture takeaway of the fact that the Hawks have a pretty good chance to play the Cavaliers in the first round, not a great one necessarily, but at least a possibility. It's one of the stronger possibilities that the Hawks have at this point as either a one versus 8 or a 2 versus 7 series in the playoffs, and also we kind of bounced around the East a little bit on this podcast between Chris and I. It's a free-flowing conversation, so to speak, and I hope you guys enjoy it. We'll be back again on Wednesday morning with some uh, more more purely Hawks-dedicated talk. And uh, with that said, the Hawks have three three days off in a row here, so we have sort of have a little bit of a uh, sort of a, a little bit of an open road to bounce around before the Hawks next play on Thursday against the Celtics. So have no fear. We'll get to that game uh, plenty before it actually transpires. But uh, for today, you're stuck with Chris with Chris Manning and I, and I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. We'll be back again on Wednesday and enjoy it. Here is Chris. So it's a Lockdown Network crossover, the Cavs and the Hawks, two teams that play Friday and then Sunday, one in Cleveland, one in Atlanta, and possibly could be playoff opponents for the third year in a row. Um, Brad, before we get into the nitty-gritty details of these two teams, does it? how would Atlanta fans feel about a third straight Cavs-Hawks playoff matchup? I don't want to speak for everyone that's an Atlanta Hawks fan, but uh, from, from most people that I've uh, spoken to about this possibility, I sort of dangled it on my Twitter account. Uh, once I kind of became real to the fact that uh, either Cleveland could fall out of the number one spot or Atlanta could sink down to as low as a seven or eight spot, it became very real to me. And uh, I'm uh, terrified as a Hawks supporter of it. I'm a little bit intrigued uh, as someone who covers the team in a at least somewhere somewhere close to a uh, an even-handed fashion, only because you know that's an interesting series, and because you know Cleveland's been struggling a little bit. I still have no confidence at all, but I think most people would be terrified more than anything. And uh, a lot of PTSD moments with LeBron coming back to town would be uh, probably probably the safest way to describe it. Would it suck for Hawks fans to do that? Like Corver would be on that team. Like, is that weird for them too? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm a huge Corver fan. I was okay with the trade. I know we, you and I talked about it when it happened, but mm-hmm. uh, I was okay with it from a team perspective. But I think it would be definitely weird to have Kyle on the other side in a playoff series, much less uh, also the Hawks have the possibility of playing against the Raptors and old, another old friend in Amari Carroll uh, being in the part of it. But I think Corver would be, you know, it's obviously fresher, and that would be it'd be very strange to see uh, Kyle, especially given the fact that Cleveland's three point shooting has really been what's killed the Hawks in uh, both of the last two playoff series, and uh, Kyle is pretty good at that whole shooting thing when healthy so yeah uh, it wouldn't be a lot of fun but at the same time I, I mean I know me personally I'd be rooting for Corver to succeed because I really like him and think he's a good guy all that stuff but uh yeah I, I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm not really looking, looking forward to that possibility if only because uh, the Hawks I think will struggle mightily again we, we can get into that if you want yeah absolutely I mean Corver you're right shooting like 40 percent from three with the Cavs which is just like that's absurd. Sounds about um, right. <laughs> yeah, like his foot, like the foot thing with him is is an issue, and I I didn't really realize, I guess, that that was something he had dealt with in Atlanta. Um, and it's become more, I think, more of a consistent thing with him right now. It's something that uh, he came back, missed seven games, came back, and then he missed another couple games as well. That that to me is like a, I didn't realize that was like a thing he dealt with in Atlanta, but it seems like it, it's something that had popped up before. Yeah, I mean, you heard a little little bits and pieces, and look, Kyle, Kyle's thirty six years old, man. Like, as, yeah. as much as uh, you know, his game uh, obviously ages well because it's a, a lot of uh, predicated on uh, you know defensively positioning and that kind of stuff. Him being uh, sort of the bigger than average wing, but offensively just with his jump shot. But you know, thirty six year old wings. Uh, are going to get banged up, and Kyle's been banged up a little bit at, in the recent past. He, he does keep himself in, fan, in fantastic shape, which helps, and uh, he got the fight. He sort of had a full offseason before this year to kind of get his body ready, but not not terribly shocked that he'd be, he'd be battling that kind of issue. Uh, and hopefully, it'll come, you know, even again, I'm, I'm rooting for Kyle to be healthy when this, uh, if this playoff series happens, and just in general for the Cavs moving forward, because I'm rooting for Kyle. But yeah, not not terribly surprised that he's battling some sort of, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to say, you know, ticky tack stuff like that, but, you know, it's stuff that, that sort of nags you more than anything else and obviously this is a real injury or he wouldn't be out for as long as he's been out at this point in time but uh hopefully hopefully he'll be back and ready to go yes yeah, switch to the Kyrie three in an effort to uh fix his foot like needed a different shoe went through different because I think he was traditionally wearing low-cut Nikes I'm not sure like the specific like like style or whatever if they were like Kobe's or something but he switched to like a high top Kyrie three that was built for Kyrie's like guys like Kyrie that move a lot with their feet in terms of footwork and dribbling um, and he has some supports so a kind of interesting little thing there and uh, NBA players in shoes. I like it's crazy to think about like that. It's like a random thing, but they get like the shoes custom fit for their feet. So it's like it's not it's like we always was weird to me that you see guys like wear a different color pair of shoes. Like a lot of the top guys wear a different shoe like every night, but they're so fit to their feet that it doesn't matter. Like it's just like they're like custom fit. I, I wish I had that. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. I, I mean, going back to my very, very mediocre playing days, I can't imagine wearing a new pair of shoes every time I played, but I guess if it's just that set to uh, what your foot's supposed to be and that's sort of built for you, it'd be a little bit different. Yeah, imagine being super rich and athlete. Um, but uh, for the Cavs, I think like if we're if you're looking at possible playoff opponents, and the bottom of the East right now is just like a, a mess. <laughs> like it is, it is all over the place. Uh, the Hawks would, for me, not be the series I would want to see just from an intrigue standpoint, just because with how the Cavs have played in March, with how the defense has looked with the injuries of the team, I kind of think it might do them good to get pushed from the get-go. Uh, like, I think you could make the argument that they need a series to just kind of, you know, like maybe run through and just have everything work. And the Hawks would, in I think, in theory, like offer that it's uh, worked that way last year. I think the Atlanta's worse off this year. They're a little banged up and stuff. 
But I think like if the if I'm the Cavs or if I'm just like observing the Cavs, I think it'd be more interesting to see them play Indiana. I think it'd be more interesting to see them play Milwaukee. Um, I I think. You know, I don't really care if they play the Bulls like that to me. I mean, Butler would be interesting, but, like, that's a bad team objectively. Unless they're on TNT. Um, you know, <laughs> you, have, you have to yeah, – yeah, at home on TNT, 20 straight. That's the dumbest win streak in sports. Um, you know, you have the Pistons that are still there. The, the Hornets are, you know, creeping up there again now. The Hawks would sort of be, like, this middle ground. And Cav fans that I've talked to on Twitter and that I've had, like, on my, like a couple of them that have, have been on the show, they would, like – they, they like fantasize about getting the Hawks just because they just like, Oh, like it'll be, it'll be a slaughter in the first round. And that's something I think they think the Cavs could need, but as, as someone who's like watching the Cavs and wants to see how they would react to something a little bit more difficult, it doesn't interest me quite as much as it might've, you know, like two years ago. Yeah, I agree. Listen, I mean, I think we've also seen that series and you know, at the, in the, at the end of the day, you, when you've seen the series twice and it's been as lopsided as it's been granted, the Hawks are very different now. And, you know, the Cavs are slightly different, mostly the same, I would say, um, but yeah, it's a series in which we kind of both know what we we're going to expect in that series. You know, the Hawks could. I've sort of uh, been joking about this offline with a couple of people who uh, follow the Hawks closely, but it would not it would not shock me if the Hawks won uh, if the Hawks won a game against the Cavs in a series this year, and uh, a lot of the, a lot of Hawks fans would suddenly turn this into the situation where this team was quote unquote better than the previous one because they actually won a game against Cleveland, which would be insane because by any objective measure, this Hawks team is much worse than the last two years. Um, but still, you know, I think Cleveland, if Cleveland tried in that series, there's little doubt in my mind that they, they would cruise past the Hawks. It's unfortunate um, from my perspective and uh, my, my show's perspective that I, I, I can't imagine that series being overly competitive. So if I'm you, I would probably be looking forward to playing somebody new. But, uh, you know, if, if it's just a safety thing from, from actually winning this year, I'm wondering, like, just purely uh, odds-wise in terms of winning a series, do you feel better about the Cavs beating the Hawks or somebody like Indiana? Because obviously from the intrigued perspective, I get it. But, uh, you know, I guess it's still probably 90% or higher uh, either way. But, you know, all things equal, would you rather play the Pacers or the Hawks or I guess the Bucks or the Bulls? Uh, kind of rank those teams on uh, what you think it would be like from an, just an absolute win percentage perspective. So I think the Hawks would probably be the high. Out of those teams, I feel like the Bucks would be the hardest team to beat. I would agree, by the way, from the Cavs' perspective. I, I would not want to see Milwaukee if I had to choose. Milwaukee's played them crazy tough all year. Um, and they're sneakily, like, people... It's, a, it's an uncomfortable conversation to have for me because I really like Jabari. But they're better. They've been better with Middleton. Like, Middleton's amazing. And he, he defends them. And, he, and it's harder to shuffle Kyrie around. And, and Giannis is just freaking incredible. <laughs> like... Uh, LeBron would have to guard him, and that pushes LeBron in situations that I don't know if he wants to like necessarily be in that early. I think Indiana's next, just because like I th- I I tend to think Jimmy Butler at time like I I waver on this sometimes, but I think Jimmy Butler is better than Paul George. Like I don't know if that's like a bad take or anything because it flip flops for me, but I think the Pacers have a better talent pool because of Miles Turner and because of even though he's kind of a mess in a lot of ways like Monta Ellis and like CJ Miles like they have like good Jeff Teague they have good players the Bulls just like don't have that many good players you know like and they fall that but then Atlanta it's just if Paul Millsap's healthy I would be more interested in seeing the Cavs play the Hawks in terms of them getting pushed than than the Bulls like I just don't think the Bulls are actually that good and then the Cavs are you know on four against them this year and they just had that weird game on TNT but like I, aside from Butler, like I just don't know what the Bulls do that actually makes the Cavs feel like feel threatened. And at least if you're Atlanta, um, Schroeder is probably going to make Kyrie have to defend. Millsap's really, really good. Dwight's going to push Tristan because Dwight's been, you know, had like a good year. 
that to me would be like even if it's the same thing, I would be more intrigued in that than than seeing them play the Bulls. Like, I don't really like get any like. There's nothing to me of that Bulls series that would actually be like worth watching, besides from Butler and LeBron going at it. Yeah, I'm with you kind of on all that. I think you know from from the Hawks' perspective, I think the team um, isn't necessarily uh, they're obviously worse as I just said this year than they have been in the past. But against the Cavs, you know, we've seen them play twice this year. Uh, the Hawks split one and one, and the other game was a pretty close. You know, actually it was one thirty five to one thirty, which is hilarious in retrospect because the Hawks are really bad offensively and they scored one thirty and still lost in that game uh, against the Cavs in early March. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think. You know the Cavs are going to have no problem beating the Hawks if that, if that series happens. Unfortunately, um, for both of us, from an analysis perspective, there's not a whole lot going on that's interesting there. But I, I do think that Dwight Howard uh, has a you know, if not a better matchup against uh, the Cavs than Al Horford did. Uh, at least he, at least you kind of know that you're, that you're not going to get absolutely murdered on the glass by Tristan Thompson in the way that uh, that he did against Horford in the past. But uh, you know that series isn't, isn't too isn't too much fun. And uh, personally, from the Hawks' perspective, I'm rooting for anybody but Cleveland in that first round series. From it's just a simple standpoint of being able to talk myself into at least a competitive series as I think there's a scenario in which the Hawks are at least competitive and can force a long series against uh, you know Boston or Toronto maybe even Washington if they play well but against Cleveland I just can't imagine the Hawks actually making that an interesting series beyond maybe a couple of close games uh, I don't want to be too negative there and obviously we're going to see these teams play against each other twice in a period of three days here and uh, you know made, made no mistake, I'm sure you've been talking about this on your, on your podcast uh, Cleveland's kind of a mess right now but uh, at, at the same time you know they have LeBron and they have uh, the most talented roster in the East, and uh, I mean, for me, I, I, I'm sure you talk about it all the time, but for me, I'm still uh, abjectly terrified if I'm the rest of the East about Cleveland, even in their sort of state that they're in right now. Yeah, man. Like I, there are people, and I'm not gonna like name of this, but like there's people that I'll see, like particularly in a certain fan base. You can probably guess what fan base it is because there are a certain very homery fan base. But well, I'm, I'm ready for it. Bring, bring the takes. <laughs> Oh yeah, like Celtics Twitter is like convinced. There's a members of Celtics Twitter that are convinced that like the Celtics are gonna like make the finals, and like look, like the Boston's pretty good, but like Al Horford's gonna if Tristan's good to go and like Love and all that stuff, he's gonna struggle in that series. They're gonna have a rebounding issue. I think Isaiah's gonna get like really hunted down in that series, and if the, he gets pushed off the floor because he just gets ripped apart defensively by Kyrie, like what do you do for offense as much without him? Like he is the their engine, and if you if you lose him at all because he struggles offensively. Like, I, I think that's a, a big question for me about Boston. And I don't really think any of those guys are actually going to slow down LeBron. Like, I think there are a core group of LeBron stop, like quote unquote stoppers in the NBA, Draymond, Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, Paul George. Crowder is close, but he's not quite like he did. He, I don't think he's quite strong enough. And I don't think he has I, like, he's very strong, but I don't know if he's like the right combination of like pure strength and the quickness to really handle LeBron. He hasn't done it in the past. Like, LeBron at full go is going to, like, torch them. And I think the Cavs will figure out enough defensively where they're going to be fine in the East. Like, I don't think any of those teams in the East. I think Washington out of all those teams actually th- – because I I would say Toronto, but it's like, is Lowry going to be healthy? You know, like, I don't really think Lowry – we don't know yet if he's going to be good to go for the whole playoffs. Because even if he comes back and he says he's good, is he going to be good right away? Like, there, there's a lot of questions there for me. But, the, I mean, the march for the Cavs has been – kind of bad but then it's like they're they're like over five points still like fourth best in the league when lebron is on the floor like their point differential when lebron is on the floor in march still had them amongst like the elite teams in the league like it's weird um I, but i don't really see any of those teams in the east as like actually being threats and i don't think it's going to be like one thing that undoes them either like a lot of people are like oh the defense is a problem and that's true 
but I think it'd be, you know, like Love and Corver and J.R. Smith not getting back to their best version of themselves. Uh, LeBron's minutes catching up to him, the defense being an issue, um, continuity issues, you know, just having older offensive first personnel. I think it'd be all those things would sort of have to break right for them to lose in the East. And I, I think they'd be underdogs in the finals if they play Golden State and maybe against San Antonio too. But I don't think there's a team in the East, like if the Cavs are, everything is sort of working or most of everything is working, that I think actually can take them down. Like there, there's all those takes that they're going to lose. And I'm just like, until it happens, I don't really believe it. That, yeah, that's where I am too. Uh, to be honest, obviously you see the team closer than I do on a daily basis, but uh, I'm with you uh, all the way on that. I mean, from a regular season perspective, these two games that we're about to watch between the Hawks and the Cavs, uh, the Hawks really need to get at least one of these two. Uh, that's sort of a uh, a tall task considering the way that they've played um, against the Cavs in the recent past, of course. But the Hawks really need kind of everyone that can get at this point in time. Do you think you know? The, do you think Cleveland's going to be trying in these games? Uh, obviously, the second half of the back to back for uh, the Hawks play Cleveland a second second game of back to back on Friday, and then they play sort of a quick turnaround. It's not like not a back to back between the two teams, but a, a Sunday afternoon game after a Friday night game you think the Cavs are gonna be trying uh, at least like playing everybody in both these games because of the fact that you know the Hawks uh, need, need this game and the Cavs really don't I mean I guess for the number one seed they do but in terms of you know in reality I'm not sure how much that matters but it definitely matters for the Hawks I think I don't really think it matters like if they win the number one seed like I just don't really think it matters too much um I think the East at the top is better this year, so I think they're going to have a tougher second-round series this year than they did, like, two years ago. You know, I, I think that's just going to happen unless, you know, like, Milwaukee upsets the Wizards in the 4-5 or, or something like that, you know? I don't, so I don't think, like, that's certainly on the table. I I think they need, like, good games, and they matter just because, A, I don't think they're going to rest anybody, and, B, I think they do need just have some things go right. Like, even when they beat the Pacers in double overtime— you had the LeBron, Tristan Thompson dust-up where the, there's the, the the very bad-looking screaming match. Lou really supporting Thompson in that exchange, like saying it was Thompson's – Thompson was right. Um, I think they just need a game where, like, there's no drama. Like, I think I think they could just use it, and I think they could have a game where they just kind of look good defensively for a whole game. Um, Indiana had a lot of moments where I th- they, they pushed the Cavs' defense in interesting ways, and they, they made things uncomfortable. They can – the Hawks can do some of that. Um, if Millsap's good to go and is healthy, he's going to create some problems for Kevin Love. I think they need a game where they get pushed and respond and it works through. Um, and, and I think getting two wins like that would be good. Because, I mean, the end of the regular season for them is Atlanta. You play Toronto in the last game of the year. If they're going to actually go for the number one seed, and I, it, Lou has indicated that they're not going to rest LeBron, every game sort of matters in that chase. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's set up about, about as poorly for the Hawks as possible, to be honest, because um, the Hawks have this home game against the Celtics on Thursday evening, and then they go um, to Cleveland on Friday. So uh, it's already a road game, and now it's the second game of back-to-back against the, against the Cavs, and they had a day off previously. That's a bad spot for the Hawks. And then they, they do get the Sunday afternoon home game in which you kind of hope maybe the Cavs go out and go out in Atlanta on Saturday night and get like, sort of an early tip-off, and that might, think, that might swing things to Atlanta's favor. Uh, but again, I think this, this this game matters more in terms of the standings to the Hawks because, listen, as, as of the time that we're recording this podcast, the Hawks have a chance to miss the playoffs still, which is uh, sort of inexplicable, at, to be honest. But uh, it's definitely in the, it's definitely in play. The Hawks are more likely than not going to make the playoffs, but still uh, they have a chance if they were to lose out, which is, uh, again, it's weirdly possible 
to miss the playoffs. So, you know, if you figure the Hawks are, are going to be underdogs in both of these games, and they should be because the Cavs are better. Even, even when the Cavs are struggling, the Cavs are better than the Hawks. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're a Hawks fan, you're just hoping that the, you're hoping for a split, and it's, it's most likely going to come in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the form of that Sunday afternoon, sort of a weird spot, um, NBA TV game, 3.30 uh, at Phillips Arena, and hopefully uh, maybe Atlanta can steal that one if you're trying to be as positive as possible. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting the Cavs in Atlanta, which is a fun NBA player city. <laughs> especially, <laughs> like, especially on a Sunday afternoon, man. Don't, yeah. don't sleep on Atlanta nightlife on Saturday. That's a, that's a huge advantage for the Hawks. Yeah, JR's going to come in. Uh, you know, I mean, he's married and got kids now and stuff. But, like, come on, JR, you know, JR Smith, we saw the finals videos. JR's going to have <laughs> some fun in Atlanta on Saturday. Um, all joking aside, like, I'm actually really curious about this because Atlanta two years ago – Win 60 games. Last year, they're still really good. Then you lose Horford. This year has been, you know, a lot of things. Budenholzer, um, you know, the Schroeder stuff. Like, regardless to make the playoffs, like, does, does it one way or the other, does does what actually, where they end up, do you think that changes their plan for the offseason? Like, let's say they make the playoffs. Let's say they miss the playoffs. Would their pe- decision then actually be different than what it would be if they made the playoffs? I would hope not. I would hope they would have already decided, and frankly, I would hope that they would already have moved away from this. Maybe not this full core, but I think you know, seeing how badly this has gone late, and you know, they had the built-in sort of excuse with Paul Millsap being out for some time. Uh, but even before that, this team had a negative point differential for the season. So I think hopefully the Hawks have seen enough of this uh, full team to note that like bringing the, bringing the whole band back together next year would not be the most inspiring choice in the world. You know, they had this interesting decision with Paul Millsap because of the fact that his is going to be thirty. He's already thirty-two years old facing a big time contract in the offseason and uh, for me you know I'm, my listeners are probably laughing right now because I've kind of been talking about uh, talking about this all, all the time but I think <laughs> it's it's definitely time to move on from this particular uh, setup if I'm the Hawks you know last yeah. year uh, last year they won fit for only 48 games but had a point differential of a, of a 51 win team this year uh, they have uh, they're, they're over 500 at this moment despite the fact they have a negative point differential and uh, but their expected one loss right now is 35 and 42 based on their net rating um, that's a bad basketball Basketball team. I mean, and again, some of that is Paul Millsap being out, but uh, most of it isn't. And uh, for me, this is a non-inspiring product, and it's time to uh, always. I, I, it's sort of a question of whether whether you want to go with the full-blown rebuild or you want to do the Hawks rebuild, which is basically to uh, maybe ch- you know tweak a thing here or there and just try to remain competitive as long as possible. Because I think uh, weirdly the Hawks want to be competitive. I mean, obviously it's not weird to the, to want to be a playoff team, but um, the Hawks I, I think t- take some pride in being the, the team in the, in the East with a long playoff streak and uh this is a market that uh, basically does not want to rebuild from uh, from uh, there's a lot of people that are like me but uh, there are more people that are not like me that want to just see this team be as good as they possibly can in the short term and they're not really worried as much about uh, the ultimate ceiling uh, to the way that I am so uh long story short I think that you know I'm, I would hope this team's already made the decision uh but you know for me maybe it does matter I mean it's t- it's t- it's a lot easier I guess to blow it up if you miss the playoffs so if you're if you're a if you're a blow it up guy like I am I won't say that I'm rooting for the Hawks to miss the playoffs but uh I think it would be more likely that they blew it up if they were to somehow you know lose the last five games here and uh, miss the playoffs after starting as well as they did uh, early on but uh, I think either way it, it's time to do it I just I'm not sure that they're actually going to I would be very intrigued by a Hawks blow up because it could go you know you could go full nuclear like you know you could find somewhere to dump Dwight like well that's could... it's really it's really tough because of the fact that you have Dwight not necessarily Dwight yeah. uh, you know Dwight's contract by itself is not that bad because Dwight's, no, it's not. Dwight's played pretty well this year but at the same time He's a guy that'd be very, very difficult to trade because of the fact that he's Dwight Howard. He has that rep of, yeah. of a guy you don't probably, you probably don't want to have around during a rebuild. So if the Hawks wanted to rebuild, 
Uh, you don't want Dwight around during that, I don't think, based on his personality and his age and his contract. It's not a guy you probably want around. And then you have Kent Bazemore, too. Um, and while that, that contract is not prohibitive necessarily, uh, you don't really want to be paying a, a guy on the wing who's sort of a supporting piece, you know, $17.5, $18 million a year on a rebuilding team. That's not the greatest uh, move in the world. So the Hawks have to do a lot of work to do the full-blown tank mode. It's just kind of tough because they also don't have a ton of these like premium assets either. You know, aside from the two rookies they drafted this last year, who I like both of those guys and Dennis Schroeder, that's really your entire young core. Everybody else is either uh, older or, or or going to be a free agent this summer. So uh, yeah, that's it's, it's a really sort of a rough spot and not an easy uh, not an easy plan to make either way. Either even if they want to go in or if they want to go out for next year, there's some tweaks that have to be done in both directions. Yeah, and I I would be intrigued by what they could do because like I mean I feel like they like they like Schroeder, um and but you would probably need like he's not like your franchise guy like he's just not I would be intrigued by because I I think there's like a lot of like this is a tangent but I think there's a sneaky number of really really interesting NBA off seasons coming up the Bulls have one. The Pacers have one. The Hornets have one. The Hawks have one. The Celtics kind of have to have one by virtue of everything that they still have in their in their cabinet with you know potentially getting a guy like Mark Fultz, um, like the Lakers, like there's just the Clippers, like there's just that with so many interesting off seasons, and like even the Warriors, like I mean they're probably not gonna like lose KD or anything like that or lose stuff because that would just be kind of crazy. But like they have all these things they have to do if like KD doesn't take that one year deal. They have to clear all these like salary. Like the NBA, the summer could be kind of crazy in a lot of ways with those things. And the Hawks would sort of proceed to me, like if a team decides they want to like win, like you could probably maybe talk the right like one. You all have to do is talk one GM into Dwight Howard, or like one team into Ken Bazemore's contract. You know, like then you could. It's not that hard to pull off, and you might not get like a top five pick in a good draft, but you could get maybe a good young player, and then like you start that way. And it's like the East is like hard to make the playoffs like maybe you could mitigate maybe you could like combine those two goals in some way yeah it's it's really there's this as you mentioned there's a lot of intriguing options but i think the hawks are actually pretty high on the list they're uh, yeah they're top five for me I, I think honestly because there's just you just don't know yeah it's gonna give me a lot of content opportunities uh, as the uh, offseason <laughs> moves forward but no listen it's it's interesting in the fact that uh it could be very uninteresting if the hawks just sign paul Millsap and sign tim hardaway jr and do nothing else which is a possibility that they become extremely boring in a hurry like to to a maddening degree because they'll just be this you know forty two win team again next year if they do that maybe with a little bit of upper mobility if you guys like Torian Prince come along and if you know get, you know you get another year of, out of Schroeder improving but uh, in a hurry they can get very interesting if they want to blow things up uh, and obviously you know that means probably being bad or at least pretty bad next year but you know Mike Budolzer is a good coach I think uh, we've seen this we've seen him coach up a, a a negative asset team his first year in Atlanta Al Horford got hurt within the first couple of weeks of the season. And he still got that team into the playoffs that had no business making the playoffs. Uh, so you've seen what he can do. I'm not saying that he can suddenly be some sort of you know miracle worker, but I think but it, you know having a top tennis coach on your bench really helps. The problem is he's also your GM. So uh, again, that also plays into the fact that uh, he's not well, GM's the wrong uh, title. He's the actually the director, sorry, you know, president of basketball operations. But he's the he's the final say guy, um, and that makes it more difficult again to rebuild. So a lot of different themes that are going across here. But uh, in the end, I think the Hawks are going to have this decision to make pretty quickly because even if they face uh, somebody that's not Cleveland in the first round of the playoffs, I have a hard time imagining the Hawks playing beyond uh, you know, beyond the end of April, we should say. So, I don't know. Yeah. I, we, we, we don't have to talk about this stuff for too much longer before it becomes actual, re- actual reality. 
Yeah. Let me ask you this. What do you, if they, let's say they make the playoffs, let's say they play Boston or, you know, Toronto in the first round, what percentage chance roughly would you give them of actually pulling a first round upset? Uh, it, depends on what, it depends on who they play, to be honest. I think, you know, against the Cavs, it's basically the chance that LeBron gets hurt. That's the only way that they're going to beat the Cavs. That sounds negative, but still. Um, aside from that, I think they have a puncher's chance against one of the other three teams. I would I would rank Washington as the most difficult matchup for the Hawks, provided Washington is healthy. I don't think the Hawks have much of a chance in that series, maybe like a 10-15% chance of actually winning that series um, versus, you know, Toronto's played good defense recently. Um, to the point where uh, they actually looking a little bit more a little scarier than I thought, and if they can get Kyle Lowry back, um, I think I don't know. For me, Boston's the team that I'd like to see the Hawks play if I want the Hawks to have the best chance of winning. Which sounds funny because Boston's the number one seed at this moment that we're talking. Um, but Boston's a team that's sort of like the Hawks have been in the past, where they're extremely good in the regular season, they're extremely well coached, but their talent is not prohibitive. Um, they're much more of a, a team that's uh, built for the regular season and that they're deep and talented, but not like overly so. And when when they shorten the rotation they're not going to get much better uh, in a way that a lot of other teams would when they shorten the rotation so I think you know the Hawks have played the Celtics well at times again you know Boston would still be a significant favorite in that series and I can't imagine the Hawks actually winning that series but uh, they, that's probably their best chance in my opinion is if they, if they play if they, if, they, if, they, if they actually play Boston which sounds funny because again they're, they're the number one seed but uh, that's the team I actually would want to see if I'm the Hawks so a 1-8 matchup against Boston is very very preferable to a 2-7 against Cleveland or a 3-6 against Washington Washington. It'd be hilarious if the Hawks beat the Celtics. Like, uh, listen, hilarious. Like, I mean, hilarious. It, it would be very funny. Uh, again, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's like, you know, odds-wise, I w- again, I'd much rather see Boston as a 1-8. And, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, the Haw- I, again, I, I just can't say- – I don't know. It's tough to see a scenario where that happens, but you know, with with the problems that the, Isaiah Thomas has had in the playoffs, and he's kind of their own. If you stop Isaiah Thomas for Boston's offense, they become very, very ordinary in a hurry. And I think they're better this year without Horford. There's some things that they're better at, obviously across the board, than they've been in, the, in years past. And I like Brad Stevens, but that's not a team that's just going to blow you. Like, you know, Boston's not going to be some sort of like ten to one favorite over the Hawks in the first round series in Vegas. That's not going to happen. They're going to be like a three yeah. to one, four to one favorite, which is still significant. But in terms of one eight seeds. You know, if Cleveland's the one seed against like a number eight seeded like Bulls or the Hawks, they're going to be like a fifteen to one favorite. Um, but if, but if it's Boston, it's gonna be, they're going to be like a four to one favorite, and that's mm-hmm. still big, but it's not like crazy anymore. Yeah. Um, is there anything from like watching the Hawks beat the Celtics last year that like you saw that like teams are going to probably do again to Isaiah in the playoffs? Because I, I can't honestly remember like how good it, like if he had a big series or not last year. He didn't like, really. The there, there were moments in which he had you know sort of explosive uh, sections of games, but in general, I think the Hawks did a pretty good job on him. I think the book on Isaiah is to put a sort put a put a bigger guy on him, a little bit rangier. If you have one of those, you know, bigger you know maybe shooting guards who can actually cover point guards. Like I think if the Hawks played against the Celtics in a playoff series, you'd see a lot of either Kent Bazemore or Tabasa Felosha on Isaiah Thomas, um, you know, not necessarily, uh, not, not, at least in the case of Bazemore, he's not really like a lockdown guy, but he's at least quick enough and big enough so he, he might be able to bother Thomas. And, uh, you know, this year, Boston's offense is a little bit more dangerous because of the fact that they have Al Horford and they have, you know, five guys on the court at a time who can all kind of beat you in different ways. But in the end, we've seen how vulnerable they can be when Thomas is ordinary. And he's been awesome this year. There's no question about it. Like, he's been better than I ever thought he'd be offensively. Um, but still, I think if you can limit him to even a reasonable degree um, Boston becomes a lot more beatable and you know if if, if Atlanta sees them I, I think they maybe it'd, it'd be wise to take Dennis Schroeder off of him those guys don't like each other 
very much, Thomas and Schroeder. So you, you see a lot of storylines about Thomas and Schroeder going one-on-one, but in the end, I think uh, the Hawks will probably take, uh, you know, and, and a lot of other teams are probably going to do this as well. I think if, if Cleveland plays Boston in a series, you're going to see some fourth quarters where you might see LeBron on Isaiah for, you know, at times, at least occasionally, maybe in big spots. And that's, that seems like a crazy matchup considering LeBron is literally a foot taller than Isaiah. <laughs> but it, it, that might happen at some time because, you know, in the end, LeBron is still Cleveland's you know, ultimate stopper, I would imagine. I mean, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but on a one possession standpoint, like with the game on the line, I think you come out and you'd see LeBron and Isaiah. I I think you're right. I think if the Cavs like got in that situation where they had to just like go full defensive around LeBron, like it's a little different than last year because you don't have Deli and stuff. And it's sort of one thing I'm kind of intrigued to see what they would do. But I think it would have to. And I want to. I'd love to hear your take on their defensive issues in this as well. But um, I think it'd be like LeBron. I think it'd be Jr. I think it would be. Shumper? It's, it's not going to be Kyrie. I can almost guarantee you that. I mean, no, I mean, yeah, like, maybe yeah. occasional, maybe occasionally, but like I can't see Kyrie yeah. getting a full blown assignment on Isaiah. And you know, rightfully, he guard, so. he guard Avery Bradley, I think. But I think if they like went full defense in that series, you'd be like LeBron, Shumper, Jr., RJ, and Thompson. I think that's what they would do. And I think that actually because Boston could go two bigs, I guess. But like their best lineups are when they get like super mobile and. Um, aren't like ha- Horford as a five and like Crowder as some four, I guess. Like, and, but I guess like Olenek and stuff and Amir help them too because they do need like they they're not a good rebounding team. And the Cavs no. with Thompson, like that's a really like he's he's a better offensive rebounder than he's a defensive rebounder. But like he's still probably going to do well against Horford in that matchup. Well, yeah, that's the one thing about. I mean, I, I will go I will go to my grave talking about how Al Horford's been a center his entire life because uh, he has been. But the one yes. thing that you know if Al Horford is playing center is that you're not going to be a good rebounding team. I love Al Horford, but he is not a good rebounder. That's the one thing that he is deficient at uh, on the basketball court. He can do everything else at an above-average level. He's a bad rebounding center. Uh, so, I mean, there's only so much you can do. I mean, it would be very difficult to field a team that is a even an average rebounding team with Al Horford as your center. So we'll say that off, off the top. And because of the way that yeah. Cleveland is just bludgeoned uh, teams led by Al Horford uh, in Atlanta uh, on the glass, that's probably going to happen again if they want it to. You know, if Cleveland decides that that's, that's their game plan, they want to beat them up inside, they're going to do that. Um, and the same thing will go for other teams. If Even a team like Washington, if Boston and Washington play or if Boston and Toronto play, you're going to see them load up on the interior and try to offensive rebound Boston to death too because that's the scouting report when you play against Al Horford in the playoffs. It's just to attack them on the glass. It's going to happen. So we'll see if it, we'll see what Boston does to adjust to that when, when the time comes. But even Atlanta this year, I think if Atlanta played Boston, you're going to see a ton of Dwight Howard just floating the offensive glass. And uh, it's going to infuriate me if that happens because people are going to start talking about how Dwight Howard's better than Al Horford, which is just not true. But, hey, it's, it's it's going to happen, and that's the smart thing to do because that's that's Al's deficiency. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, let's wrap let's wrap it up on this. I just want to ask you one. I just I just I've been asking everybody this. The Cavs' defense has been awful, like in March. You know, like almost as bad as the Lakers, who were just actively trying to lose with the young players to sort of keep their pick. Do you think that that, that defense is a that actually going to be that bad in the playoffs, and b how big of a problem do you think that it is? Uh, it's a problem, uh, I would say, but only if they. I, I think there's at least possible that Cleveland flips the switch. I think it's pretty safe to assume that they won't be as good in the playoffs defensively right away as they uh, were last year by the end. Um, only because I don't think you can flip the switch completely to suddenly be to go from being an an objectively bad defense to being an awesome one overnight. It's just not going to happen. But Cleveland has that whole probably that first round series and maybe even a second series depending on who they play 
to uh, sort of ratchet it up defensively. I think personnel-wise, there's a reason to think that uh, Cleveland might not be as good this year, especially if they're playing a guy like Kyle Korver, who I've always defended defensively, but at this point, he's definitely a below-average defender. I don't think he's a horrific one necessarily, but it's still not a very good defensive player. If he's in your rotation now, ahead of a guy like maybe you know Shump or Jr., who are both defensive, you know, better defensive players. Obviously, those guys are going to play also, but if he's taking taking minutes over a guy who would have been a better defender, that's going to hurt your defense. Plus, you you know you have to hide Kyrie. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, Kyrie's defense in the playoffs has always been better than a regular season, uh, at least from my eyes. Maybe you don't Cause agree he, Because he, he actually cares. Well, yeah, because he tries <laughs> like, in the playoffs. Which is, like a, which is like a problem Like if you're going to like evaluate him in the regular season. But like – and I'm not just I, I'm not one of the, the Cavs people that's just going to be like, oh, like, you know, like it doesn't like you can't evaluate him on that because like it matters. It does. I mean, um, and I, I it, talk about it, it all the time. I mean, I, I've gotten in trouble with Cavs fans. You know, my, my boy Justin Rowan hates me for whenever I go in on Kyrie's defense. But look, look, Justin has the most trash tweets in the world. I love he you, does. Justin. I love Justin. Too. Like, He's been on my podcast several times. But no, it's uh, I, I think there's a different there's a whole different analysis with like evaluating Kyrie as a player versus like what Kyrie can be when he tries. It's 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 a, it's a different discussion. Uh, I think his baseline defensively is bad, and he's again not the not the biggest reason, or at least not the only reason why Cleveland struggles defensively right now. But uh, I think him trying harder, you know, LeBron trying hard defensively is going to happen in the playoffs because it always does. It's not you know it's symptomatic because I think they know deep down that they don't have to try right now. Uh, and it, when the time comes, you'd expect them to flip the switch. The question becomes, can they do it in a hurry? Or will it take them a while to figure it out? But I'm not terribly worried about Cleveland's defense, even if I think all they have to do is defend at like a top, you know, 10 to 12 ish level and just not be bad defensively. And they'll be fine. Yeah, especially if they have an uptick in offense as well. You know, like if they if they can, they're, they're they've been really good on offense all year. But if they get closer to like where the the Warriors or the Rockets are at, which I think is possible, you can probably get by more with the um, defense. And I would also just note. Um, like I think, like you, the losing Delhi and I think losing Mozgov have hurt. But I think if you get to Game Seven of the Finals and you're playing Golden State again, you have the same personnel that won you the Finals last year. Like you, functionally, the rotation of Game Seven is still in the team. Like Delhi was not playing in Game Seven, Game Six, Game Five really. Uh, Mozgov was a non-factor in the once the playoffs started. You still have Richard Jefferson. You still have Tristan Thompson. You still have LeBron who's still very, very good. You have Kyrie, you have Love, you have Shumpert and JR. And you have Korver, who I think adds a, his shooting is going to be really, really important in that series. Like, I think I'm very curious to see when to, when to get down to it, if like that ultimately wins out opposed to them being really bad right now. Like I really, I'm, I, I'm very curious that this is like a case study of like, okay, if you're bad in the regular season, but you're, you know, you're seven minute rotation, eight minute rotation in a, in a tight final series is going to matter. And you have a guy like LeBron as this like ultimate variable. I wonder, like I, I'm very curious to see how that unfolds against a team like Golden State that is just a juggernaut, no matter how you spin it. Yeah, I do worry about Kyle in that series defensively. Um, he can defend. I think he can defend Iggy, but Iggy's been like he can. incredible for like two weeks. Like he's been incredible the last two weeks. Yeah, and actually, I think like, that was like a sneaky decent matchup for Corver because Corver is still super strong and big. I think people forget how big he is uh, as a wing. Like he's a legit six seven and a half six. I eight. was shocked. I was shocked how big he was when I first like saw him in the locker room and like talked to him. Like I was like, oh, I didn't realize you were like this big of a guy. Yeah, I always talk about that from the same thing for me in the locker. I think people just think you know he's a white. He's a white wing yeah, he's a white shooter yeah which is, and, and that's all true i mean he is what he is in some, in some respects but he's a legitimate like six seven and a half six eight and stocky like he's very strong um and because iggy's not going to blow by you anymore at this point in his career off the dribble that's a that's a playable um defensive matchup as well as ian clark i think you i think you can hide corver a little bit 
And, 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 and to like some degree, I think Corbin's going to be your your eighth or ninth man anyway. He's not going to play more than no. no, definitely not more than twenty minutes a night in that series. So yeah. it really won't matter in the end, uh, at least not to a, a massive degree. But yeah, listen, we're gonna we're gonna ahead of ourselves a little bit there. But uh, I, I know yeah. you've been looking forward to that series all year, and a lot of us have. So I, I don't blame you. Um, I wish I had something to look forward to that was that promising. If I was as as, as someone who supports the Hawks, but alas. Maybe we'll get there eventually, and I'm sure I'm gonna get killed for being too negative on this show yeah. about the Hawks. But alas, here we are. No, no lie though, I miss covering the draft. Like I miss having a reason to like pay attention to the draft because I find it like I find it like really interesting and fun. I love the draft too. And last year, like, I I was blessed when we with like a two, with like a two, two or three day span where I actually had two draft picks to talk about uh, because of the Jeff Teague's trades and the Hawks picking twice in the first round. So that was a lot of fun. But this year, uh, only one. But actually, you know, the Hawks have two picks in 2018 and two picks in 2019, courtesy. Of the Cavs uh, with that with that second first round <laughs> yeah. of 2019, so should be a lot of fun uh, moving forward yeah. to cover the draft. Uh, I, I I probably would be covering the finals though, if I'm honest. No, I mean that's true, but like I mean, I just the Cavs years that I like started blogging about the team were like the the crappy D like the first draft lottery I think I wrote about was the year that they got Dion. I'm pretty sure. Oh, shout out like, to Dion Waiters while we're here. Oh, incredible! Always, I mean, always shout out to Dion. Like Dion Waiters is like. The most incredible thing ever. <laughs> like I love the I love Dion so much. I really like, don't he, like Dion. I've, I've come oh, around, I, I've come around to the entertainment factor with Dion. Like I always really, really, really didn't like him, <laughs> uh, but now it's like to the point where I just don't care anymore. And I just find it. Oh, it's so him. fun! It's so fun. So I've come um, around. I can't wait to. I, I'm gonna feel really bad though when like the Sixers give him like way too much money this summer. Uh, like it's just gonna like Colangelo gonna be like giving like the hometown like eighty eighty ninety million dollar contract or something dumb and I'm just gonna laugh. And the process people, my, my, Michael Levine will just like have <laughs> the biggest like vein popping out of his head of all time if that happens. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. Liber- Liberty Ballers. Too. Yeah, it's gonna be awful if they overpay anybody this summer, much less Dion. So yeah, anyway. it'd be it'd be so really fun. I'd still laugh. I'd For still sure, laugh. I love Dion forever. Um, but yeah, man, this has been fun. Hopefully, we'll maybe we'll do this in the playoffs again, and maybe the Hawks if they miss the playoffs. They'll, like, win the lottery, like, screw over the Celtics and, like, get Markel Fultz. Maybe that'll all work out. Uh, I would not object to that at all if the Hawks had one ping-pong ball <laughs> with the uh, being number nine in the East. and some, some, That would be extremely non-Hawks because the Hawks are not lucky enough to have that pull off. But uh, I would be here for it, my friend. But, yeah, we'll definitely talk uh, as the playoffs approach, especially if the Hawks end up playing the Cavs. We'll probably do a couple of these, I would imagine. Absolutely. And uh, I'll probably be weeping for half of them, but it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, all right, man, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Chris. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17.